0: I see parables in life all the time. In this morning's New York Times, there's an article titled, The Dog, the Squirrel, and the Moment of Brilliance, in which a woman, after watching this interplay between the dog and the squirrel, finds herself seeing the squirrel inside of her and what that means. It's a a parable of life. The other day, I I saw a parable in my life. I'd been driving my car for about a month or more. And every time I got in my car, it was going like this. I was just wobbling down the road, wobbling down the road. And I knew I needed to do something, but I wasn't willing to do something yet. And I'd be wobbling, 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 wobbling home. Am I going to make it? Wobbling, wobbling, going down Great Neck Road. I stopped even trying to think about driving to Williamsburg in this car because I knew I was going to go off the road with this thing. And then... About a week ago, I made the decision and I got new tires and alignment and now I am flying. I am going somewhere fast. I want to drive. I want to keep going. I want to drive to the West Coast and just drive on up to Alaska. If you need a ride, call me. I'll be your chauffeur. I'll take you anywhere because it just is smooth. I am just floating down the road and all it took was a decision. And that's a parable about life. Sometimes our lives are just wobbly, 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 wobbly. And we keep driving wobbly, wobbly, wobbly. And we have to make a decision. That decision gets us back on track, gets us going smooth back down the road of life. What's that decision got to be for you today? And then there was a, a wedding. Weddings are always parables of sorts. I did a wedding Friday night on the beach out of Chick's Beach right there. The Bay Bridge Tunnel traffic was flying by. It was a beautiful night. It was a lovely night for a wedding. Beautiful bride, handsome groom. And there was only one thing different about this wedding. I I never did a wedding exactly like this before because at the end of the wedding, I was supposed to announce something special. I was announcing that everybody was to light their lantern and let it fly into the air. Now, on the way in, everybody got a a lantern. Everybody got a, a lighter And at the end, they had to unfold the lanterns, fire up their lighters, light those babies, and and just watch them go up, up, up near. Well, that was, in theory, what was supposed to happen. But that didn't exactly work. It sort of became a parable of life. Because most of the lanterns weren't lighting. Most of the lanterns were kind of struggling. Uh, The bride almost set herself on fire. She she almost went poof. I I thought I was going to just have to, you know, sort of throw a towel around her. Uh, the, the groom, he was kind of excited because he was playing with fire at his own wedding. He thought that was kind of neat. All the, all the men were excited because they don't usually get to play with fire at a wedding, so they're all excited. They're like dancing up and down, beating on drums. It's kind of like this ancient rite of masculinity that started to happen. And then uh, some of the lanterns went up, up, up. One lantern went up over the parking lot, landed on a minivan. The minivan started to catch on fire. Somebody jumped up, saved the minivan. somebody was a little bit concerned about his lantern so he buried it in sand on the beach i gave him the smokey the bear award for lantern safety Uh, but then there were a few lanterns that that just flew up 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 and they were supposed to go out over the bay and they were so beautiful up 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 and then they went inland and then i started to think now when that fire goes out those those things are coming down they're going to come down on a car you're going to come down on, on a, a person eating a Krispy Kreme donut because they're sort of heading that way on Northampton Boulevard. I know right where Krispy Kreme is. and I had figured out the logistics of the, the speed, the wind speed, the lantern, and Krispy Kreme. We're all going to hit at the same time. And, and so it was a parable of life. You try your best to figure things out. You want things to be good and smooth and spectacular. And then it doesn't work that way. And then what do you do? You have to regroup. You have to make a new, a new plan. You have to go in a new direction. I see parables in life all the time. Back in 1969, a guy named Randy Bachman heard a, a song on the radio, uh, and he decided that he would write a song from a couple of words that he heard. It became a very well-known song by the Guess Who. It's on their album, Canned Wheat. It's called Undone. She's Come Undone. And in that song, he wrote a parable and here it is too many mountains and not enough stairs to climb too many churches and not enough truth too many people and not enough eyes to see too many lives to lead and not enough time it's a pretty good parable see parables are all around us all the time Now, I don't want you to feel bad. and I don't want you to feel the pressure of of your life having to change. And I don't want you to have to think too hard about all the different nuances of your life. Jesus Christ never said any of those things. I don't want it to be too hard. I don't want you to feel bad. But he told stories. In those stories, he had a deep expectation that you would see yourself and that you would not just change your mind intellectually, that that you would not just feel something and get goosebumps. He wanted movement. He wanted action. He wanted you. And so he told a story. It's been known ever since Luke wrote it down and Matthew wrote it down and Mark wrote it down. As the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. They knew about kingdoms. They knew about kings. This is another kingdom. This is another king. This is something that was moving inside of them and through them. and, And they were beginning to understand it, though they didn't always understand it, so Jesus was telling them stories about it. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. What was going on there? That's a story for another day. Susanna and many others many others these women were helping to support them out of their own means in other words they were they were not just thinking new things and feeling new things they were doing something they were moving in to this movement of the kingdom of god they were saying this is so important i want to be a part of it i want to give something of what i have to make this come to fruition while a large crowd was gathering And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. Large crowd, people showing up. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, and that's where we, actually this original word here is the word we get our English word spores from. As he was scattering the seed, literally spores, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. The word picture there is stomped. It was destroyed. It was decimated. There wasn't really much left. There was just little pieces maybe of the seeds left. It was trampled on, stomped, and the birds, and it says in the the original story, the way Luke wrote it, the birds of heaven, the birds came down from above and ate it up. It was gone. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, literally in the middle of thorns, which grew up with it. The word there is the word that we know as symphony. So the seed falls in The middle of these thorns, and there's a symphony of growth as it grows and moves and and as it receives the sunlight, as it becomes what it was intended to be, there's this symphony of growth. And and then it choked the plants which grew up with it in the symphony and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop or something good that happened a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Too many churches, not enough truth. Too many people, not enough eyes to see. Please hear what I'm saying, he says. Please know that, that what I'm saying can touch you deeply in your soul it could change your life if you understand what I'm saying his disciples asked him what the what this parable meant he said the knowledge of the secrets literally mystery it's the Greek word mysterion literally the knowledge of the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. He wants you to work at it. He wants us to sometimes just sweat to get to the meaning, to really lean into it, not just think about it, not just feel something, but to engage our entire being with it. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It's God's words spoken into the world. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They heard it, they heard it, but it just gets destroyed in the process of life. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. They heard it. When they hear it, they got it. But they have no root. There's no depth. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So it's possible to hear the message of the kingdom of God, to hear... Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking into your life to respond to it, saying, I've always needed this, I've always wanted this, I'm reaching out for it, now I know the meaning of my life, the hope of my life, and then your life gets hard, and you say, well, God's not paying off to me. Your life gets difficult and painful, and you go, I didn't sign up for this, my life was difficult and painful before, I thought this was going to make everything good, I thought God was going to take care of all the problems. I am out of here. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. They heard it too. They heard it. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. But here's the real meaning of this Part of the story, and they do not mature. There's no maturity. There's no direction. There's no bigger understanding of life. Everybody's going to have some things that they, they are concerned about that are worrisome. You know, they did a study a long time ago, and they were trying to figure out what really makes marriage work, and they studied 500 couples, and of these 500 couples, half of them had been divorced before they made it to the fifth year, and then half of them had made it to the fifth year, and they were sort of moving through, and so they said, let's try to to do the research, ask the questions, analyze the data, figure out what happened here so we know why people don't make it in relationships, in, in marriage, in family. So they did everything and they figured it all out and they analyzed everything and ran all the numbers. They, they, they did the, the divorced group first and they said, okay, this, this group, they had trouble with money, they had trouble with communication, they had trouble with in-laws, they had trouble with kids, they had trouble with sexuality, five big problems and they didn't make it. So we kind of isolated that. Now let's figure out what happened with this other group that made it and they studied, they ran all the numbers, they analyzed all the data and they said, okay, this group that made it, They had problems with money they had problems with kids and problems with communication and problems with in-laws and problems with sexuality and somebody was scratching their head going this is this is the same this just doesn't make any sense so they said let's go let's go back through everything again so they went back through all of the interviews and that were recorded they listened to all the interviews and then one day somebody said i think i think i got it i think i figured it out in the first group every time they talked about marriage it was always about something that happened in the past. You know, they got they got married, and on their wedding day, you know, Uncle Fred was fighting with Aunt Matilda and, and on the first year, like it was pretty, pretty much a big struggle. And the, everything they talked about was past tense and was part of this big struggle and problem. The other group, every time they talked about marriage, it was always about the future couched. In hope, couched in dreams, couched in goals, you know we knew it was going to be hard, but we we knew that if we could get through these first ten years, we're gonna we're gonna do something great for our ten year anniversary. We're really looking forward to the, the day that that you get all these kids out of diapers and we can actually sit down around a table and have a conversation. We're looking forward to sharing our lives with other couples, in church, so that we can grow together in life and faith. And everything was about the future. And it changed everything because there was maturity. Maturity is going to change the game. But when you have worries, riches, and pleasures without maturity, there's nothing. There's just pressure all the time and stress all the time. And then Jesus wraps it up. He says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear, they hear too. They hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. There's perseverance. That's part of the the equation of maturity. There's perseverance. There's retaining it. There's bringing faith and life together. There's the heart that is noble and good that wants more than just knowing and more than just feeling. It wants doing. It wants producing. It wants making an impact in the world. And Jesus says, Do you want to be that? Do you want to live that? Do you want to live that out with me? And then he drives it home. Watch what happens next. He says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, so now he's making his point. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. He says it all begins when you really listen carefully and you understand that this is all about doing stuff, doing stuff together, doing stuff for my kingdom and for my purposes. And then he rounds it out with what happens next. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. So many people that his own mother and, and brothers could not get through. Security couldn't even get him through. Mary had a little badge on that said, Mom. She couldn't get through. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. He widened the whole concept of relationship. He widened the whole concept of family. He said, we all have to do this together. This is big. This is huge. This is why I came into the world. I want to do this with you. I want to do this for you. I need you to do this with me. If you have ears to hear, Well, you do this, put it into practice means to do it, perform it, to act with diligence and earnestness, to want it with all your heart. This story is a parable of your soul. It gets to the heart of everything in your life. It peels back the layers. It holds up a mirror and asks, what do you see? What do you see? What do you look like? John Orberg writes in Soul Keeping, Our problem is that this world does not teach us to pay attention to what matters. This world does not teach us to pay attention to what matters, to what matters the most. In the story which is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the seed is a constant and the sower is a constant. The soil is what gets interesting. The soil is the variable, for the soil is the soul the real you, the deepest part of you. And Ortberg has us look at three types of souls, those along the path here. This is the hardened soul, the hardened soul. Ortberg writes, The world diverts my soul attention when it encourages me to think of myself more as a victim than as a human. I am so wrapped up in the hurt I have received that I do not notice the hurt I inflict." And so what he's saying is this, this hard ground, this path where the seed is decimated and, and broken into little tiny bits, and, and the birds come and they eat it and they fly away. He says these are people that they're so battered by life, they're so hurt by life, that they just, they can't even listen anymore. They have a hard time listening to the truth. They have a hard time hearing things that are about faith about a hope that is beyond this life. And so they're very easily swayed by an evil system that is superintended by the the prince of darkness. It's very easy for them to just hear it, and then it's gone before they even have a chance to think about it. Who do you know that, that has a hardened soul? Who in your life somewhere has just been so beat down that they've become hard ground, a hard path. And when you try to, to speak into their lives, it just seems fruitless. It seems useless. We all know someone like that. What would it take to begin to break up that hard soil? You know what's not going to break up the hard soil? Arguing. What's not going to break up the hard soil is, is saying, well, if you, you would do this, what well, begins to break up the hard soil People's lives is the same thing that Jesus did when he came to serve, when he came to to give his life away. Even though he would be rejected and scorned and ultimately put to death on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He just loved and he loved and he loved and he loved and he loved some more. And there were times when he had to call people to accountability and there were many times he told stories like this, look at yourself, do you really hear what I'm saying? But the whole tone of his life was love and grace. And that's what will break up the hard ground of the world when the church becomes love and grace in the culture. Love and grace in the world. The light of the world is a light of love and grace. The hope of the world is a light, is a hope of love and grace. There's the hardened path, the hardened soul. And then there's the shallow soul, Ortberg says. This is the, the rocky ground. These people, they receive the word of God with joy, but they have no root in time of testing. When life gets hard, they fall away. They walk away. Ortberg quotes Richard Foster, who many, many years ago wrote a very popular book called The Celebration of Discipline. Foster writes, superficiality is the curse of our age. Superficiality is the curse of our age. Horper writes it this way. The desperate need of the soul is not for intelligence nor talent nor yet excitement, just depth. My soul becomes shallow when my interests and thoughts go no further than myself. A person should be deep because life itself is deep. A deep soul has the capacity to understand and empathize deeply with other people, not just himself. A deep soul, this is key, notices and questions and doesn't just go through the motions. A deep soul lives in conscious awareness of eternity, not just today. To be in constant awareness of eternity changes your life, changes the game. Where are we tempted to be superficial in our lives? Where does that kind of creep in? Where does the shallowness try to to gain a foothold? What questions would peel back the layers of my life? A deep soul notices and questions. doesn't just go through the motions. But here's the real question. If you ask yourself this question every day this week, your life will change. How am I aware of eternity right now? How am I aware of eternity right now in this moment? It's kind of you know, a question that you expect to hear in a place like this, and you expect to, to maybe think about it for a few moments in a place like this. If you start to think about it tomorrow, and you start to think about it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, how am I aware of eternity right now? Your life will change. In some cases, it'll change dramatically. John Ortberg tells a story about being shallow and, and understanding that that's, that's a, a trap, it's a prison. I, I come home from a party, he writes. When we pull into the driveway, my wife puts her hand on my arm and says gently, I noticed when we were with other people today, you didn't look them in the eye very much. People love it when you look at them. It's what made me begin to love you in the first place. I think you should work at it. My first thought is, Who died and made you body language queen? I am Swedish. My people are Swedish. We never look anyone in the eyes, not even the eye doctor. I withdraw from her. I lean more toward my side of the car. I get quiet, polite, distant. You learn when you are married how to send signals that will register deep in the soul, yet are subtle enough to offer plausible deniability. Then I think of how I told God I would like to be in in training to love people better. I think of how I want to be remembered when I reach the end of my life. I would like to have looked deeply into many eyes, to connect deeply with many souls, to have people know that I noticed them and cared about them and actually loved them. Something in my heart turns and melts a little. And I say to my wife, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for having the courage to love me that much and somewhere in the universe something heals and that something is a tiny little tear in my soul to get caught up as a shallow soul to only be rocky ground where there's there 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 isn't a root system that reaches deeper and deeper and deeper for more and more and more is to put yourself in in a prison. And sometimes we can help each other get out of that prison just by saying the right thing in the right time. And the right word in the right time, with God's word in the right time, can produce something that heals a heart and changes the world. And then Ortberg writes about a cluttered soul, the thorns and the choking was choking over the worries the riches the pleasures of life and there wasn't maturity and the point is there wasn't maturity without maturity you just choke all the time orper wrote it this way we mistake clutter for life if we cease to be busy do we matter am i somebody if i have nothing to do a person preoccupied with external success reputation ceaseless activity lifestyle office gossip, may be dead internally and not even recognize it. And we go, oh, I know that person, Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, I know that person, the Hollywood star that crashed. Oh, I know that person, Bernie Madoff. Yes, it's easy to recognize the fully choked out life. We can all see that. The real trick is to recognize the pre-choked out life. Remember, this is a story that holds up a mirror so you can see your true self. Any choking going on anywhere. Any little bit of choking going on. Pre-choke stuff. If your soul, here's the question the answer. If your soul whispered something to you right now, would you hear it? Your soul whispered something to you right now. Would you hear it? Too many mountains, not enough stairs to climb. Too many churches and not enough truth. Too many people and not enough eyes to see. Too many lives to lead. And not enough time. Just a lot of choking. If you look at the back of your your weekly and I trust that you have looked at it, you're going to see it's really different. And it's different because this is the result that Jesus is, is going for. He ends up saying, a noble and good heart produces something. It, it, it retains something. It, it changes things. It honors me. It hears me. And when we become a church, we really own something that belongs to him. And I often get questions about the church and how does it function and how does it work. And, and we get these questions a lot, especially as people come and, and they're here for a new season of their life in church, maybe. Maybe not having gone to church in a long time. And so we talk about how giving is a privilege and an honor. We talk about how giving makes all ministry happen, whether it's student ministry, whether it's, it's, it's ministry with babies, ministry with children, Rock City, everything that happens happens because people give. They are giving out of noble and good hearts to hear Christ and to do what he's asked them to do. That's all it's ever been about. And then we have the other side of what we do that's our building fund. And some people say, what's the difference between a general fund and a building fund? I get that That general fund is, is ministry. What's what's building fund? Building fund is what pays the mortgage of the church, just plain and simple. And we've got a great goal that we're going to have this all paid off in about nine years at our 30th anniversary. So we don't, we don't have to even do that anymore. There's an end to that. There's never an end to ministry. There will be an end to paying for this building. And the way we do that is through this program called My Church, and I need you to find out everything you can and to pray and say, God, how can I be a part of that? How can I own what you own? How can I invest in what you've invested in? You've given me so many opportunities, so many resources. How can I put that into action? And as you do that, you change the world. You become the hope of the world. If you've never heard my story about Spring Branch before, uh, please come to this event that we call Faithful on Monday, October the 20th. All the information's right there. I'd love to share that, that story with you. I'd love to spend that time with you. You can hear what God has done over 20, almost 22 years now at Spring Branch. You know, the days that seem so long ago just sometimes seem like yesterday we were here for christmas eve 2000 and and we were only a church of hundreds and we didn't know what was going to happen and they came and they said michael cars are backed up all the way down great neck road we became a church of thousands in one night and god had a plan and a purpose it's never been about me it's never been about us. It's all about what he's been doing. I invite you to be men and women of noble and good hearts. I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel the pressure. I don't want you to have to think too hard. Jesus never said that. He said, if you hear me, if you got ears, please hear what I'm saying. I'm desperate to have you hear what I'm saying. My soul reaches out to your soul that we might do this together. Noble and good hearts change the world. In September 1996, a new show came on network television. The star of that show, up to age 29, lived in his parents' basement. He had nothing. He was nobody according to the the world. But he was already everything that he was. He already had all the gifts that God had given him. But when you're living in your parents' basement and you're on the cusp of being 30, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. But now, in September of 1996, everything's beginning to change and this person, who you know his name, he, he became the highest-paid actor per episode in television history. And Everybody Loves Raymond just went on and on and on for nine years, telling all the parables of our lives. I often saw my life in the parable of Everybody Loves Raymond. And so Ray Romano, on May the 16th, 2005 acted out the final episode of all of his parables. And when the show ended, he stood in front of a live audience. He told the story of his life. He talked about living in his parents' basement at age 29. He talked about all the lessons that he had learned over nine years. And then with tears in his eyes, he recalled the story about how his brother Richard has, had tucked a note in his luggage the night before he moved to New York City, the night before he was going to just give everything he had to try to be something with the gifts that God had given him, his brother Richard puts this note in his luggage, and he pulled the note out, and he read the note in tears to a a rapt audience. The note said simply, what does it profit a man if he gains The whole world and loses his soul. Don't be a hardened soul. Don't be a a cluttered soul. Don't be any other kind of a soul. Don't live a life of distraction. Understand that God has called you to have a noble and good heart, that God wants to do some amazing things through you, that together we can Put a dent in the world. Together we can do good things. We can change people's lives. But Jesus says, you got to hear it. you got to hear my heartbeat. My soul reaches out to your soul. Please listen. If you listen, will you hear me? And will you live? I have been waiting. I am your soul. I am here. Dear Heavenly Father, Touch our hearts right now. Allow us to be men and women of noble and good hearts. Allow us to slice through the clutter of life. Allow us to not be encumbered. Allow us to grow deep roots and to reach for maturity. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us souls that embrace everything that you are that we can become everything that you've called us to be. I give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.